Good morning. My name is Liza, and I'll be your scripture reader for today. Here at Red Hill, we ask you to remain standing for said scripture. Today, we'll be reading out of 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 7. I'll give you a minute to get there. For you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our visit with you is not without result. On the contrary, after we had previously suffered and were treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, we were emboldened by our God to speak the gospel of God to you in spite of great opposition. For our exhortation did not come from error or impurity or an intent to deceive. Instead, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please people, but rather God, who examines our hearts. For we never used flattering speech, as you know, or had greedy motives. God is our witness, and we didn't seek glory from people, either from you or from others. Although we could have been a burden as Christ's apostles, instead we were gentle among you, as a nurse nurtures her own children. The word of the Lord. Thanks so much, Liza. Hey, it's uh, good to see everybody this morning. Sarah and I, uh, and Aubrey and Nathan as well, we got a great gift yesterday. We got to hear from Caleb, which was awesome and also terrible because it just made us miss him all over again, but he's doing good. He did ask for our church to please pray for him because he has a ganglion cyst in his left wrist that is making it pretty difficult to do push-ups which uh, I haven't been to basic training, but apparently that is some part of it, is push-ups, is some part of basic training. So he did, uh, he said, please have the church pray for me that my cyst would go away. He's feeling good and uh, has already made some friends and is feeling confident. Apart from the cyst, he's feeling confident that he's gonna be able to make it through, which was a a huge encouragement to me and to Sarah. Um, And just like full disclosure, I'm sort of cruising in this Sunday, uh, really not uh, having had a week that was just exceptional with the Lord. Um, not, not coming in this morning feeling like I'm on top of the world and that my relationship with Jesus is like dynamic and satisfying and life-giving all week long. Really, it was like a week of grieving. And uh, so I, I spent a little bit of time in the word, but not a lot. And, um, you know, I just appreciate Grace, and I'm looking for the same thing that you're looking for this morning, and that is just for the Lord to speak. If you came here hoping to hear something clever from me, um, then like most weeks, you will be disappointed. But if you came uh, expecting and hoping to hear from the Lord, then you'll never be disappointed um, because his word does not ever return to him void. It accomplishes its purposes, whether that be to soften us to him and his spirit or to harden us against him and against his spirit. And so my prayer for you and for myself this morning is that our hearts would be tenderized by the preaching and proclaiming of the gospel, by the opening of the word, by the praying of prayers and singing of songs, that we would be conformed into his image today. That's really the the goal. Um, Something that's been like really present in my life is, is the thought of how precious life is and how quickly things go, like how fast time goes. The same place that time always goes, by the way, where does the time go? It goes away. That's where it always goes. It goes away, always away, and it moves, uh, apparently, I'm learning, with increasing rapidity, like the pace seems to be speeding up. In today's passage, Paul's really, hi Phoebe, good morning, I love you. 
Yeah, no, it's sleeping. My belly button's sleeping. Paul's defending the content and the character of his ministry. And by the way, Paul seems to always have to be defending the content and the character of his ministry. Like every book that he writes, it seems like he's like, guys, I was literally just with you. You know who I am. And those other dudes are just lying and they're trying to profit off of it. And they're trying to profit off of the gospel and they're terrible people. And you know who I was and you know who I am. And to the Thessalonians, he's writing basically the same thing. And um, it made me sort of ask this question, which is a question that kind of like radiates in my mind and heart a lot is, what do you wanna be known for when it's over? Whether it's because you moved away or because the Lord took you home. What is it that you wanna be known for? When you, when you go to a funeral, funerals are, are terrible and wonderful things. They're terrible because we were never designed to die. We weren't created to die. We were created to live in paradise with God forever and then sin entered the equation and the curse of sin is death. So death enters because sin enters. And someday, Jesus is going to stomp on the head of death and kill it forever. But that's gonna be the end of it. Until then, we have to suffer with it. In the meantime, what are we supposed to do? I love you, Phoebe. I love you. What are we supposed to do with this thing called death? We go to the funerals and we grieve, but then we also sit around and we tell stories. Right? We, we, like we share stories. Do you remember when this happened? And do you remember when that happened? Do you remember when they said this and when they did that? And, and your whole life is sort of summed up by the people that are gathered around sharing their memories of you. And I often like, I remind myself, someday people are going to sit around and share stories about me. My whole life will be summed up by those that I love and <laughs> probably hopefully differently by those who don't love me or like me. Like they're also going to sum up my life, but I don't care what they have to say. I'm not too worried about that. But what do you hope? Like, what do you want? What are you aiming your life at? What's the aspiration? What's the dream? What's the center of the bullseye or as Simon Sinek calls it, what's the golden circle? Like what's the whole thing about for you? Who are you trying to become? we're all in the process of becoming and life is unbelievably precious and our time together is painfully brief. Are you giving yourself fully to the work of the Lord? I recently resigned my position as the Sin City missionary and like the biggest reason that I resigned, like the overarching understanding of why I really didn't like the job was that the work was really important and really pleasing to God, but I wasn't designed to do that work. I was designed for something else. And I wanna give myself fully to that which God made me for. Barnabas, the son of encouragement, in Acts chapter 15, right at the end of Acts 15, he takes John Mark and sails off to Cyprus. In Acts chapter 16 is when Paul and his merry band of missionaries go into Macedonia and get the crud beat out of them over and over and over again, ending up in Philippi, and, excuse me, ending up in Thessalonica. And in Thessalonica is where Paul meets the most encouraging church that he's ever going to encounter. The one that he writes to and has just basically almost exclusively glowing, effusive praise for. 
And as he's talking to them today, he's reminding them of who he really is and what it was that he was trying to accomplish, what he wants them to know him for, what he wants them to remember about him. So we're gonna look at the passage together. It says in verse one and two, it says, for you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our visit with you was not without result. On the contrary, after we had previously suffered and were treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, we were emboldened by our God to speak the gospel of God to you in spite of great opposition. This is not without result. He says, our visit with you was not without result. Can you remember when you became a follower of Jesus? Can you remember the circumstances of when you became a follower of Jesus? Can you remember what it felt like when you surrendered your life to Jesus? Can you remember the people that walked with you across the line of faith, that like led you, that quite literally led you to Jesus, because I can. I can remember those people. I can remember the tenderness, the gentleness, the clarity, the patience that they had with me as they sat down and explained God's love for me, Jesus's death on the cross to pay for my sin, and that forever Jesus would keep me in his family. That it wasn't my goodness that got me in to that family, so it wouldn't be my badness that would get me kicked out of that family. That being included in that family literally had nothing to do with my performance. It wasn't about what I had done for God, but what God had done for me. They spent hours talking to me on that Sunday when they probably wanted to be at home eating lunch. And I can remember I can remember sitting with them in a Sunday school classroom and listening to them and having them encourage me and talk to me. Paul says, our visit with you wasn't without result. You know what he's saying? Guys, we showed up, we preached the gospel and the spirit of God moved, you repented of your sin and you believed. I can tell you, one of the hardest things about preaching is when you finish, you go home on Sunday afternoon and the devil starts whispering into your ear. You know, nobody cares, right? Like nobody's listening. Nobody's paying any attention. Nobody's life is being transformed. You're wasting your whole life. You're wasting your time. You could do other things that would cause less grief and you could make more money and so on and so on and so on. That's what the enemy tries to sow into those who would stand publicly and say, thus saith the Lord. That's what, that's what happens. And it's not exclusively to preachers because when you try to do something for the Lord, Satan does the same thing to you. No matter what it is, if you try to give generously, Satan whispers into your ear, you know that's wasted money. If you try to share the gospel with a friend, if you try to show kindness to someone who doesn't deserve kindness, and when you forgive someone who doesn't want or deserve your forgiveness, it's the same thing over and over again. It's woven into the fabric of our existence that Satan wants to disrupt and destroy what God is trying to do in us and through us. And Paul's reminding them right out of the gate, we showed up and your lives were transformed by the power of the gospel as we proclaimed it to you. He's reminding them about the character of his ministry. Paul always was facing criticism and accusations and he had this one singular strategy. It's a bold, it's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Here's what Paul said over and over again when there were critics saying, you know, Paul's just doing this to make money. You know, Paul's just doing this to become famous. You know, Paul's just doing this so that Paul can stand on a bigger platform. You know, Paul only cares about Paul. Here's what Paul said over and over again. 
I was with you. Just examine that. Examine my life. Examine the content of my life. Examine the content of my words. Examine the content of my preaching. Examine my character. Examine the way that I lived among you. And then make your decision. That's his defense over and over and over again is just to point back to his own life, his own ministry, the way that he operated in and among the people. And his life backed up his testimony. There is a lot of freedom and a lot of power in not having to ever delete your browsing history. There's a whole lot of freedom in not feeling like you need to go delete your DMs or your text messages. And I'm not unlike you, that I have had periods of my life where I had to do that. I didn't have to do that, excuse me, that's a misspeak. I chose to do that, to conceal sin. A holy life can stand up to scrutiny and it can stand up to attack. And it really doesn't need to say anything except for just look at my life. Just look at my life. Examine my life. Examine the way that I was when I was with you. He says, we were emboldened by our God to speak the gospel of God to you in spite of great opposition. Boldness comes from God. Spiritual boldness comes from God. Spiritual boldness is a gift of God. This is seen on repeat in the book of Acts. Here's how it goes in the book of Acts. God sends his spirit to embolden someone to proclaim the gospel. So they preach the gospel. Then people who hear it believe the gospel. Then a church is formed. And then that church gets filled with the spirit and is emboldened to preach the gospel. And that's how it goes over and over and over again. That's how churches get planted in the New Testament. They don't get planted with a good strategy. They don't get planted with solid funding. They don't get planted with a good business plan. They don't get planted because they have an awesome vision frame or a charismatic leader or an entrepreneurial, like gifted uh, uh, point person. They don't get planted because they have an incredible core team. They get planted because the Spirit of God fills ordinary people with boldness to preach the gospel. Gospel boldness is about the courage to share the gospel. That's what gospel boldness is about. Paul says that our God emboldened us to proclaim the gospel to you. It doesn't take a whole lot of courage to be a Theobro. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't take a lot of courage. I don't remember who it was. I think it was a boxer, maybe Mike Tyson or somebody. But he said, I can tell by the way that most of you act online that you've never been punched in the mouth. It doesn't take a lot of courage to be courageous online. It doesn't take a lot of courage to have the, uh, the strength of your convictions in an anonymous setting. Purpose of boldness was to speak the gospel of God to you. That is lacking in my life, that is lacking in our church, that is lacking in our culture, that's lacking in our country the boldness to speak the gospel to someone else. That comes from God. That doesn't come from somewhere else. And can I just say, don't let your passion for being right drown out your compassion for those who are lost. 
I'm not advocating for letting errors slip by. I'm not advocating that we be silent in the face of heresy. I'm not advocating that we remove ourselves from culture. I am simply saying that we are ambassadors of another kingdom, which means that we must live as missionaries. As missionaries, we must live as people who see other people as those who need to be rescued and redeemed, not as those who need to be opposed, confronted, and dismissed. It means we have to think redemptively. Paul could have gone into the Thessalonica and been like, you guys are lost, you're heathens, you're going to hell, and that's the end of the story. There's a, a really funny series of videos that was done by this church a long time ago, Vintage 21. You can look up Vintage 21, the Jesus videos on YouTube if you need a good laugh. And, and basically, they take this old movie from like the 70s, uh, the Gospel of Mark, and they dub it like uh, Mystery Science Theater. So they just do voiceovers, and they make Jesus sound like an effeminate, uh, effeminate Hannibal Lecter, like, hello, my son, is how Jesus talks. And in one of the videos, Jesus has gathered this crowd and he says, um, hello, hello, everyone quiet down, please. I've gathered you here to tell you something very important. You are all sinners. There is no hope. That's it. Right? And, and this is kind of the image that we have, not that we have necessarily, this is the image that the world has of Jesus. And maybe we should just ask ourselves, well, where did they get the idea that that's who he is? Like, where in the world did they get the idea that that's who he is? The church should be a place for people whose lives are falling apart. And we should be a people emboldened by God to say there's good news for you if you want it. There's good news. That's what the gospel is, good news. Verses three and four, it says, for our exhortation didn't come from error or impurity or an intent to deceive. Instead, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please people, but rather God who examines our hearts. The, uh, the Theobros believe that God is greatly pleased when they own people online. That the way that we make God happy is by demolishing people who disagree with us and who are oftentimes wrong. Paul and company had a different idea. They had a singular focus of pleasing God, a singular focus. And it's easy to deceive ourselves and believe that we can destroy a person because they're wrong and God will be pleased by that. It's critical, it's vital, it's of the utmost importance. It's as if Jesus was asked, what's the most important thing? If someone would have said, Jesus, what's the most important thing that we could do? It's so important for us to remember what his answer was. Love God and love people. Love God and love people. Love involves correction, but it's correction for a purpose. It's correction for a purpose, and the purpose is not to own somebody else, to demolish somebody else, but to demolish the strongholds of the enemy in their life, to tear down faulty ways of thinking that that person might be set free, rescued, redeemed, to think redemptively, 
the two primary commands laid down for us in the New Testament, the two that Jesus said the entire Old Testament and all of the laws and everything written by the prophets hangs on the nail of these two commands is to love God and to love people. I think that's so important. I just think it's so important. Paul says our exhortation didn't come from error or impurity or an intent to deceive. Instead, just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please people, but to please God who examines our hearts. Have you ever heard of the fear of man? The fear of man. Maybe you have heard of it under a different name, peer pressure, the desire to conform or to fit in to belong with people that you don't really belong with, an anxiety that overwhelms you, wondering what other people think about you, being consumed with concern for what others think about you. That's what the Bible calls the fear of man in Proverbs 29, 25. It says that the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Paul says we're not preaching to try to please people. We're preaching because we want to please God. They didn't let the fear of man guide their actions or alter their decisions. I mean, how many decisions just this week did you and I make because we thought, such and so, some person or a group of people will approve of us if we do this thing. Someone will like me more if I will do this thing. That pressure is real. Like it's a real pressure. It's, it's an anxiety that wants to press in and dominate the way that you think, the decisions that you make, the words that you say, the way that you dress, the way that you carry yourself. You've probably been in a social setting where somebody brought up a movie or a song and you thought to yourself, I hate that thing. Like that's like the worst piece of music ever. And everybody in the group is like, oh, it's so awesome. And you're like, yeah, totally. Very cool. Everybody loves that song. How could you not love that song? It's just the best it's when you lie about who you really are to try to impress people to try to fit in that's the fear of man Paul says we're not doing this to try to please you that's not the purpose of what we're doing we're doing this because we know God is the one who's going to examine our hearts just for a moment can we be honest and say it doesn't really matter what your middle school friends think of you anymore. You know what I'm saying? Like most of, most of the advice that I got in my high school yearbook was don't ever change. <laughs> Including when I was a prepubescent freshman. Don't ever change, Raiden, don't ever change. Don't grow as a person. Don't learn new things. Don't try to improve yourself, learning new skills. Don't cultivate any new hobbies. When we get together for our 50 year reunion, I want you to weigh 95 pounds. I want you to be five foot three. I want you to be single and I want you to be 15. Don't ever change. And I was consumed with the idea that the opinions of those who were around me was the most important thing in my life but God's the one who's going to judge my heart. He's the one who's going to examine me in what I've really done and what I haven't done. Public opinion and even thoughts about yourselves 
can be really deceptive. It's important even to remember that the Bible says when our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. I'm just saying, if now I don't care about what my friends in middle school thought, I wonder what I'll feel like five years from now and 10 years from now and 20 years from now. I don't know anybody who's following Jesus who says later in life, I wish I had cared a whole lot more about what other people thought about me. But I know a lot who say, I wish I had lived with more passion for Jesus in the moments that I found myself in. I, uh, like one of the first state conventions I went to as a youth pastor, I didn't go to a lot of uh, the state conventions. I went to the state conventions, I just went and played golf instead of going in because the politics of all of it was really boring and offensive to me. But I remember being in this one session where they brought this pastor on stage and he'd been at the same church for like, I don't know, 175 years or something. He was super old. He had been, his whole ministry tenure was at this one church and they asked him, how did, like, what was the secret to longevity? How did you stay so long at one place? Because there's oftentimes a lot of turnover for pastors. You know what I'm saying? Like, they, they leave, they move, they go other places. How did you stay so long? And he said, well, I just always figured it was easier for them to move their membership than it was for me to move my couch. I was like, I don't know if that's, like, super biblical or anything, but I just really love that this guy was like, yeah, I just, like, what I heard was, I just try to follow Jesus. If people didn't like it, they can move on. I'm staying here. I'm staying here and I'm gonna love these people and I'm gonna love Jesus and I'm gonna pastor them for as long as I possibly can. That's what I'm trying to do. Paul, he says, <laughs> it's important to remember and maybe as an evaluation point for other people's ministry to you. I wasn't trying to profit off of you. I wasn't trying to puff you up. I wasn't trying to make you something that you weren't. Just think about who I was. Remember who I was among you. God's the one who's gonna examine my heart. Verses five and six, he says, for we never used flattering speech, as you know. <laughs> like, we never used flattering speech, as you know. He emphasizes that they never used flattering speech. I get the sense maybe Paul wasn't super generous with words of encouragement. You know what I'm saying? Like, we never used flattering speech. And everybody in Thessalonica was like, oh, yeah, right, we know. And Paul's like, as you know, They're like, okay, good. He's aware of it too. You know what I'm saying? Like, he knows as well who he really is. We never used flattering speech, as you know, or had greedy motives. God is our witness. And we didn't seek glory from people, either from you or from others. There's no flattery, there's no greed, there's no hunger for glory from people. Flattery self-serving and dishonest. It's using people to achieve selfish purposes. Flattery is the exact opposite of what Jesus has done for me and for you in the gospel. Flattery says you're basically a good person and maybe Jesus is just gonna like nudge you across the finish line of faith. Matthew Henry, a scholar from old, a biblical scholar from old said, he said this, if we become but little sinners, then we need but a little savior. Flattery puffs you up for the purpose of making you like me. So flattery really isn't about you at all, which means it's really not about love at all. 
It's about me. It's about me getting you to think I'm great. That's why I flatter you. And that's why you flatter me, and that's why we flatter other people. It's a form of dishonesty, and Paul says, we never flattered you. We never told you something about yourself that was untrue. Not only that, he says, but we weren't greedy, self-serving, self-focused, using something or someone to gain money. Being a user is the opposite of the gospel. Why? Because it makes it about me, not about you. It makes it about me getting something and it costing you something. Paul says, I wasn't greedy. Jesus said, you can't serve God and money. That's in the Bible. So we're gonna have to deal with that. And he says, we weren't looking for glory from people. Glory from people working so that others will love me. It's, it's so hard, it's so hard to live in the reality that Jesus created. Because see, in the Old Testament, you could fake it. I made my sacrifice, I did my grain and seed offering, I did my drink offering, I did the wave offering, like I, I did the moonwalk offering, I did the Macarena offering, I did the YMCA, like I've done all the dances that I am supposed to do, so I am good. And then Jesus came along and he said, if you hate somebody, you're a murderer. If you lust after somebody, you're an adulterer. It's not, it's not anymore just what you do. It's about the intention that causes you to do it. The motive for doing it now is what we're evaluated by. Paul says, we didn't do this to get glory from you. His claim is that his ministry wasn't about him. I wrote this, like, I think if Paul was talking to me and was saying this to me, he'd be like, I don't have to stay here, get disrespected, get beat up, be hated, and be accused of being a false apostle. I can go anywhere and get beat up and be hated and be mistreated and be accused of being a false apostle. And that's basically the story of the missionary journeys of the apostle Paul. Go to a town, preach the gospel, get a few people saved, get them together, and then be hated, turn the city upside down, so much so that you gotta go somewhere else and do the same thing over and over and over and over again. But Paul said, that's okay. You know why? This isn't about me. This isn't about Paul getting the opportunity to preach at conferences this isn't about Paul validating in front of others what a good pastor or apostle he is. This isn't about Paul accumulating for himself a following. This isn't about Paul accumulating for himself wealth. This isn't about Paul having the opportunity to write a bestseller, although by the way, in the end, he did. It's called the New Testament, maybe you've heard of it. He wrote a big chunk of it, all right? He's, a, he's at least in the book jacket, you know what I'm saying? He's one of the authors for sure. He's saying it's really not about me at all. It's about this overarching, overriding mission that is pushing me forward. 
And what are the consequences? Irrelevant. Don't you know someone who's lived like this? Can you think of someone who's lived like this? Aren't they an inspiration? Isn't there something about you that says, I want to live with that kind of conviction and courage? That's what Paul's saying this morning. Over and over again, Paul tells us, I'm really not exceptional. When I stand up to preach, I get so nervous that my knees knock together. Most of the places that I went, I wasn't really all that effective. I just kept going because the mission was too important to put it down. Flattery, getting people to like me. Greed, getting money and power for myself. And glory, getting fame. Influence, wealth, power, fame. These are not evil things. These things are not evil things. The problem is that we idolize these things, believing that they will provide for us that which only intimacy with Jesus can offer. We believe that they will provide for us meaning, contentment, security, peace, purpose, and strength. And so instead of surrendering our lives to Jesus, who would love to give us all of those things, we surrender our lives to the pursuit of stuff that's just stuff, of the things that won't last. Paul says in verse seven, although we could have been a burden as Christ's apostles, instead we were gentle among you as a nurse nurtures her own children. We could have been a burden I think it's worth saying that love doesn't insist on its own rights and privileges. Isn't that wonderful? Love doesn't insist on its own rights and privileges. Love doesn't demand that it gets what it deserves. Love says, instead, I will give you what you don't deserve. It's why it's important for us to be careful with the word love. I think it's Bill Cosby, I don't know, some old comedian used to say that we can say in one breath that we love our wife and in the next that we love chocolate cake. It's important for us as we throw around the word love, when we say I love you, that we understand what we're saying. And when someone says I love you to you, that you understand what they're saying that we have a common tongue for this. Because I promise you, love will bring you to the point where you say, I really don't want to do that. Like maybe it's not even a big thing. Like maybe it's a little thing. Maybe it's an easy thing. And you'll just be like, I don't want to. I really don't, I wanna do what I want to do. You've probably said something like, why am I always the one giving? Why am I always the one serving? Why am I always the one going? Why am I always the one that has to pick something up or clean something up or take someone somewhere? Why am I always the one who has to change? Why am I always the one who has to give? Why am I always the one who has to sacrifice? 
And to all of that, I would just simply say that Jesus, although he was of the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead he emptied himself and became nothing and took on the form of a servant and became obedient even to the point of death on a cross. Why? Because he loved you. It would have been so easy for Jesus to stand off in the corner and say, no, I didn't mess this up. They don't even like me anyway. And I'm gonna do this for them and it's not even gonna be the ultimate fix. They're gonna keep messing up and rebelling against me and hating me and despising me, mistreating me, and misrepresenting me. But love doesn't insist on its own rights and privileges. Could have been a burden as Christ's apostles. We're apostles. There aren't a lot of those. It's like 13 and one of them was a betrayer. You know what I'm saying? Like, I guess Paul's the 14th because you had the replacement for Judas and then Paul comes as one untimely born. But past that, the rest of us are just disciples, just regular old followers of Jesus. As an apostle who wrote the majority of the New Testament, who planted this church, who led most of you to Jesus, I could come in and I could demand my rights, but I didn't. I didn't do that. The reason he didn't do that is because he loves them. He says, instead... We were gentle among you. As a nurse nurtures her own children, we were gentle among you. Maybe more than any other aspect of the fruit of the Spirit, this is missing in the world today. Gentleness. We live in a polarized world that just wants to hate each other. And the way that you get power and the way that you get influence and the way that you gather followers the way that you accumulate for yourself is by highlighting, emphasizing, and increasing the divide that exists between people. You're never gonna be famous unless you are outrageous. You're never going to be electable unless you live at the extreme and are willing to emphasize the divide between you. There's a great quote, I think it's by Ian McLaren. It says, be kind, for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. There were several points over the last week, <laughs> several points, I'm, I'm ashamed to admit it. There were several points over the last week where I was driving around and I was like, I wish somebody would just provoke me because I want to get into a fight. Like, I just want to fight somebody. And I have not felt like that in a long time. And, uh, you know, as I sort of spend a little bit of time reflecting, like, what in the world is wrong with me? Like, you want to get in a fight? You know you're going to get punched. And that's like one of my least favorite things. Getting punched is terrible. It's one of the reasons why I'm nice online most of the times, because I have been punched. It's awful. I don't recommend it. It's grief. 
There are very, very few people in the world, very few people in the world who woke up today thinking to themselves, I'm going to try to make you miserable. Like, that's my point and purpose. If you're parenting teenagers, the, maybe it's a stronger percentage for you than others. I'm just kidding. It's just a joke. My teenagers are amazing, truthfully. It's just a very small group of people that woke up thinking about you and thinking to themselves, I've got to devise a strategy to torment them and to make them miserable. But my response oftentimes treats that person as if that is the case. I had this image of Paul that he's like a lion, you know, like he's like courageous and brave and not afraid to call people out. And all of that is true, but also he says, among you, I was gentle. How gentle? Like a nursing mother. That's like the most tender thing in the world. I mean, I can, I can remember what it felt like to lay that baby as a dad on my chest, like that skin to skin, like it's smaller than a football, and lay that baby on your chest. And I can remember watching my wife, the tenderness, the, the tender and tentative hands of a new mom, the gentleness that's the image that Paul uses to describe how he was with them. I don't know if there is a lot we could do in the world to stand out more than just being gentle with people, to be known as gentle people. This is how Jesus is with me. Whenever I was a young kid, I was an angry kid. I don't know why, I was just angry. I just, like, I fly into these rages. I mean, I was tiny. I'm small now, but I was tiny. In first grade, I weighed 38 pounds. I was tiny, and when I would get mad, I'd fly into these rages where I'd just throw fists at anybody and anything that was around me. And even then, Jesus was gentle with me. He was tender with me. And now I'm all grown up. And I still struggle. And Jesus is still gentle and tender with me. Oh, make no mistake, he confronts my sin. He convicts me of my sin. It's a sharp point. But when I get to the point of confession, where I just agree with him, yes, that is sin, he takes out the spear and he brings in the medicine. Gentle among me, gentle among you. Now, please understand, you're gonna get wounded if you're gentle. Like, you're gonna be wounded. Jesus himself was wounded. He was pierced for our transgressions. The apostle Paul is maligned and attacked and criticized and misrepresented. So how do you, 
press past that? How do you endure through that? And the answer is not complex at all. You remember that it's not about you. You are not the hero of the story. You're not the central figure. You're not the protagonist. Jesus is. Jesus met me as a nine-year-old kid, brought that prick of conviction into my soul that said, you are a sinner, brought the medicine of the gospel that said, and that's why I died on the cross, so that you don't have to stay in that state. That's why it's good news. It's good news for those who've never trusted Jesus, and it's good news for me and for you if you have trusted Jesus. You know why? Because you still struggle with sin and you still need to hear again and again and again. That's why he died on the cross, to forgive sin, to bring you back into fellowship with God. It's really not a hard thing to surrender your life to Jesus. It's pretty easy, actually. There's no magic words. I like uh, one of my favorite testimonies, this guy, Vody Bauckham, he talks about getting saved as a college football player. His friend Steve was an FCA, and he says, um, I'd never prayed. And so Steve led me to Jesus, and Steve was like, well, you need to pray. Become a Christian. And he's like, well, I don't know what to say. And he's like, you just say whatever you want. And Vody says his salvation prayer was this. Hey, God, you know that thing you did for Steve? It'd be real cool if you did that for me too. That was it. Amen. Right? That was it. It's just stepping across that line of faith. Understanding that a gentle savior, not a harsh condemner, is who's waiting for you. That's who's waiting for you. A gentle savior for those who need to be saved and for those who have been saved. God, I want to invite you to trust Christ even right now. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, to close your eyes. Or if you really want to, to look around. Look, I don't want you to feel like you're sinning if you don't close your eyes or bow your head or whatever. I just want to invite you to trust in Jesus. I want to call you to repentance and call you to faith. I want to call you, like invite you to step across the line from I hope I'm a Christian to I have surrendered my life to Jesus. Knowing there's a gentle savior that's waiting for you. Some of us in the room here, we have stepped across the line of faith, but we have forgotten two important things that there is a gentle Savior who still wants us to repent of our sin and that there is a eternally significant and important mission that we are supposed to be living for. My solitary hope for you this morning is that you would be comforted and encouraged as you respond to the truth of the gospel. That you not be deceived into believing that everything's okay because you're basically good and you basically believe. But that you'll be provoked to surrender yourself fully to the salvation that Jesus offers and to the mission that Jesus has. This is our moment of response.
I'll be available to pray with anyone who'd like to pray over in the hospitality area. If you're making a decision this morning, I want to encourage you to just fill out a connection card and drop in the, drop in the offering box. I want to remind you to give generously to help support our mission and the mission of other church plants in the Metro East, in St. Louis, and missionaries around the world. I want to encourage you when it's time to sing, to sing with everything that you've got. And most importantly, most importantly, to listen carefully to the Holy Spirit of God and to obey. Let's pray together. God, we're thankful for these moments with you. As we take the Lord's Supper together, as we sing together, as we give together, as we pray together, and later as we go together, would you fill us with your spirit because we know gospel boldness comes from you. I don't have it, and I need it. Help our lives to reflect our beliefs. Let us bear the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. God, you are good and we are yours. When you're ready, you can take the Lord's Supper. You respond as the Lord leads you.